0: All right, let's get going. Um, All of you have heard about the novel 1984. It was by George Orwell. This is what the cliff notes say about it. In George Orwell's 1984, Winston Smith wrestles with oppression in Oceania, a place where a party, the party, scrutinizes human actions, and with the ever-watchful Big Brother, defying a ban on individuality, Winston dares to express his thoughts in a diary and pursues a relationship with Julia. These criminal deeds, so writing in the diary and pursuing a relationship, these criminal deeds bring Winston into the eye of the opposition, who then must reform the nonconformist. George Orwell's 1984 introduced the watchwords for a life without freedom. Big Brother is watching you. So in this book... Um, It also has this concept called newspeak, and that's basically the idea that you can control people by controlling how you use words, taking words out of use or changing their meaning. Uh, George Orwell has this to say, for example, because the word good (laughs) presumes the opposite of bad, the word bad is unnecessary. Similarly, all degrees of goodness can then be expressed simply by adding standard prefixes or suffixes to the one root word. So you get ungood, which means bad, plus good, which means very good, and double plus good, which means wonderful. So um, you'll see where I'm going here in a minute. So in, in so doing, new speak not only eliminates unnecessary words, but it also promotes the narrowing of thought and therefore awareness. The idea behind Newspeak is that, as language, am I too close or too far away? The idea behind Newspeak is that the language must become less expensive. As the language becomes less expensive, the mind is easily controlled. Orwell meant it as a warning that... Governments and authority, if they control language and tell you how to use it, can control the minds of their citizens. So Orwell, this was written back in 1948, and Orwell meant it as a warning. But it appears that parts of our government, the technology, uh, behemoths behind the social media... And especially the media are using it as an instruction manual. So we've changed the word racism, which used to mean prejudice against somebody of another race or or skin color, to be silence is violence. Change the meaning, and you control the people. The media gave Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, an Emmy for his COVID updates on on TV. This is the same governor who sent infected COVID patients into vulnerable populations. And and he sent COVID patients into nursing homes, infected all the nursing homes. 30,000 people died in the first couple months in New York, and they gave him an Emmy for his quality of his updates. Twitter has been blocking conservative accounts that post what Twitter censors consider, if you use the words of Newspeak, double plus ungood think. If you, if you think the wrong things, they're going to censor you. They're going to turn off your account. And then recently, I know you guys have all heard of this, um, they prevented the sharing of the article about Hunter Biden and all his corrupt dealings with China and the other nations. So it's about control. Google and Facebook are also in on this, preventing sharing of unapproved thoughts, pulling videos that sanction ideas counter to what they think the ideology should be. And then all of this is on display right now with the election as you post things about fraudulent elections, and then they're fact-checked underneath because, of course, there's no fraud going on here. So it needs to be fact-checked. So we've gone from this this book that was written in 1948 of this post apocalyptic scenario of this imaginary government to pretty much what we're living every day. So why am I why am I telling you all this? I, just, I, I know as church, but I just wanna I wanna. Preface all, that was all just to preface the fact that the stakes are higher. We need to take our walk seriously. We don't know how long we have. We don't know how long our freedoms last. And we need, individually, we need to be serious about our walk. And so that's what I want to go over with you guys today. It's been a difficult year so far, and uh, this week was difficult. You See, we uh, lost a lot of people who normally attend. Um, we, we're praying for them, and hopefully they'll be back in a couple weeks. Um, but there's, a, there's all this turmoil, there's the election, um, and then, you know, everything that already happened in 2020, which I won't go over. You all lived through it. Um, but I'm just here to encourage you, God is in control. None of this came as a surprise to him, even today, um, with everybody getting sick. God has a plan, and he's been using that plan. And I want to encourage you to leverage, to take this opportunity in your own walks, to um, redouble your efforts. So we're going to go. We're going to be reading in First Chronicles twenty-one sixteen through twenty-eight. If you guys want to get there, in the verses before the passage, I'm going to read. David is tempted by his pride, and he goes against God's command to to not count the nation of Israel. The idea being that if you count them and you're confident in the numbers of your military, then you're less reliant on God, right? So he, you're not supposed to count them. You're just supposed to trust in God. And they're out there. When you need them, don't count them. But his pride got the best of him. He was tempted, and he fell into temptation. And against the counsel of Joab, his general, um, he went ahead, uh, they went ahead and counted. And I love Joab. Um, Pastor Raul is going through 2 Samuel right now, so we're hearing a lot about Joab. He's a rebel, but in this case, Joab was honoring God with his rebellion, and he ended up not counting two of the tribes just because he thought it was an abhorrent decree. Anyway, I like Joab. So the angel of the Lord. So this brings judgment on them, and the the angel of the Lord is then going to go for three days through the nation of Israel, wiping out around seventy thousand people. Men. So as the as the Angel comes to Jerusalem, God stops the destruction, he he gets mercy, and uh, that's where we're going to pick up at the threshing floor of Ornan. And just a note, we're reading out of 1 Chronicles, but there's a parallel passage in 2 Samuel 24, if you want to go there too. So, uh, starting in verse 16. And David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord, standing between heaven and earth, and his hand drawn, Sword stretched out over Jerusalem. That's that's an awesome image, right? So all of us for the Marvel movies and the Superman movies. He's up there. He's got his his sword drawn out. Poor Ornan is sitting there being in, intimidated. Then David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces. And David said to God, "Was it not I who gave the command to number the people?" Is it I who have sinned and done great evil? But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand, O Lord my God, be against me and against my father's house. But do not let the plague be on our people. So by this time, David realizes he's blown it. And um, he's again repentant and humble. And he's put on the sackcloth uh, to communicate that. And he's seeking God's mercy. And he's taking responsibility for his sin. So let's continue in 18. Now the angel of the Lord had commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan was threshing wheat, and he turned and saw the angel, and his four sons were with him, hid themselves. As David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David, and went from the threshing floor and paid homage to David with his face to the ground. Poor Ornan again—he's like he's just seen the angel, and he turns around and there's the king of Israel, <clears throat> so he's kind of overwhelmed. But in both cases, he's uh, hes appropriately showing uh, reverence. And David said to Ornan, "Give me the site of the fleshing, threshing floor, that I might build that I may build on it an altar to the Lord." Give it to me at its full price. The plague may be averted from the people. Then Ornan said to David, Take it and let the Lord, the king, do what seems good to him. See, I give you the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat for grain offering. I give it all. But King David said to Ornan, No, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So let's stop here. This is really where, this is this verse is where I want to focus today. I will not take the Lord for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David is unwilling to give a sacrifice that didn't cost him anything, because it really isn't a sacrifice if it didn't cost him anything. And so uh, he appropriately understands that, and he wants to make sure that, that he's paying, and he's the one making the sacrifice. Let's continue, and then I'll drill back in that in a minute. Uh, Verse 25. So David paid Ornan 60 shekels of gold by weight for the site. And David built there an altar to the Lord and presented burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord. And the Lord answered him with fire from heaven upon the altar of burnt offering. And then just like in, in the time of Elijah, the actual fire comes down from heaven, consumes the uh, the, uh, the offering. Uh, and there's a lot of supernatural going on uh, in this story. It's pretty awesome. Then the Lord commanded the angel to put his sword back in his sheath. So he and at that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, he sacrificed there. So we have two factors there in halting the judgment. We have. God's mercy, which is always available. And then we have the confession and the sacrifice of the sinner. We can always count on God's grace, right? He's, he's willing. He's the God of full of grace and mercy. But the part we need to work on is the condition of our heart and the condition of our sacrifice. Verse 24, once again, I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So we should not be giving offerings that cost us nothing. The Christian walk was not promised to be easy. It's not promised to be smooth. In fact, Jesus declares exact opposite. We're to expect, uh, the apostles uh, taught it as well, expect trials, expect opposition, expect difficult times. We are to rejoice when we are counted equal to suffer persecution like Jesus did. So are you, am I, going through life, doing what is convenient, walking our Christian walk in a way that costs us nothing? I'm going to present some truths that are inconvenient. That's the name of the message, inconvenient truths. Our approach to these shows us what is costing us something and what is not. So the first one up is obedience is inconvenient. As believers, what have we been called to do? You know our, our primary goal is to glorify and worship the Lord. Uh, how does that how does that play out in actual things we need to do? Uh, get to know him, uh, know his word, know his commandments, then follow those, uh, get together fellowship with other believers, spread the gospel, spread the good news. Jesus died for us, that he lived, he was born, lived a sinless life, died, was resurrected and conquered sin. We need to tell everyone about that. And then we need to make disciples. So once you convert them, it doesn't stop there. You need to keep going. So what does obedience look like for us? None of, you know, we, we need to do all of those things. We need to proclaim the good news to a dying world and make disciples. None of this is convenient. Obedience is inconvenient. First up, attending church. Hebrews ten twenty four and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, let me just go off on a disclaimer here because especially this this week, but in general, um, I'm not talking about those who are deciding to attend virtually when I'm saying this. Um, if you, especially for health issues and you're at home and you're attending virtually, that still counts as attending. And if you're sick, please stay home. Attend virtually. Come back when you're well. So um, for those who are or attending virtually and we haven't seen you in a while, we love you, we miss you. As a church congregation, the rest of us who are meeting in person, we need to make sure we don't forget about those, reach out to them, call them, text them. And the reverse as well. If you're meeting virtually, make sure you're connecting with people outside your home through, through a call, through a text. Um, dare I say it, WebEx is available if you really are up for it. Um Anyway, that's that's my disclaimer. I me mean, I just wanted to get that out of the way as I'm gonna pound us on this that I'm not talking about that. So is church, is attending church a priority for you? Is it a priority for your family? What happens if you get a better offer for Sunday or you just don't feel like it in the morning? Do you plan events late into the night on Saturday, so when you get to church, you get here tired and you get here late? You know, uh, back when it was open, our family would go to Disneyland often, or all the time. And if we would go on Saturday, and the girls are like, oh, can we stay into the night? The conversation would go something like this. You realize we have church in the morning. So if we stay late, and it was never me that wanted to stay late. I always want to go. Um, If we stay late, you need to get up, and you need to be in a good mood, and you're not going to make us late. And so... Even when we do stay out late, the plan was, you know what's important. You know what the goal is: is that you need to be at church. And I'm I'm asking all of us to block that time out. This is, this should be an anchor on your calendar, um, that is Im- immovable. And everything else work around it. But it's not just it's not just sunday you need to plan for sunday on saturday sometimes earlier than that depending on what else is going on in your lives because a lot of us are very busy so uh the sacrifice what what is it costing us it can't cost you nothing you're going to have to say no to things you're going to have to say no to social gatherings you're going to have to say no to events you're going to have to say no to that late tv thing you wanted to watch it'll be there everything's recorded these days um Anything that's going to interfere with you attending church, put it off. It just—I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying put the priorities first, put the sacrifice, make the decisions. It's obviously not just Sunday either, right? So there's Wednesday service, there's men's, there's women's, there's prayer meetings. Um, those in in our family are anchors in our calendar, and so there's a rare occasion when there's a school event that we need to go to. We'll go on a Sunday, uh, Wednesday. Right? Or if we're, out of the, if we're out of the state, obviously we don't come to church here. Um, but other than that, they are anchors on the calendar, and we'll come to whatever one it is, and one of the girls is like, "Well, there's this thing." And I'm like, it'll have to wait." We do make exceptions. I'm not that bad, but they're anchors for 98 percent of the time, and I'm asking the congregation to do the same. So it's going to cost you. Don't give to the Lord that which costs you nothing. Next up, Bible study and prayer. Any relationship, any growth in a relationship requires communication. Our relationship with the Lord, our our walk grows and matures through the daily reading and prayer. We have to understand who God is. We have to understand who Jesus was and what he did for us. And if we're not in there and soaking that in on a daily basis, we're not going to grow, we're not going to mature. And, and again, pointing back to the 1984 stuff, this is the time when we need to be serious. So what does he require of us? This is what he requires of us. Psalm one, nineteen, ten. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not I might not sin against you. How are you going to know what the commandments are if you haven't read the Bible? How are you going to know what God requires of us unless you're digging in there? Psalm one nineteen one oh five Your word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. It's full of guidance, it's full of wisdom, it's full of direction. It's full of godly guidance, wisdom, and direction. And that's what we need more than anything right now. And as Christians, we need to be the ones who understand and can communicate it to a lost and dying world that is, can't figure out how many genders there are. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Prayer and Bible study are the last things the enemy wants us to do on a daily basis. He, he will pull out all the stops. He's, he'll get you to delay. He'll, he'll distract you. And you have to be ready for those delays and distractions. Oh, I'll put it off. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it later. I'm later. I'm too tired. I'll do it tomorrow. And tomorrow never comes. And he has to be a priority. It has to be something that is, again, an anchor in your day. Figure out what works for you and make sure you can commit to that time. Each of us needs to find a time and a place where just the distractions of the day and the cares of the world can be blocked out. Put the phone on, do not disturb. That thing can be used by the enemy to distract you like that. Oh, oh, somebody needs my help. Oh. Oh. Somebody just posted a like. I need to Investigate it. No, just put it away. For those with little ones, close the door. Find a place where they're not going to come jump on you, distract you. You need focus time. I guess it applies to old ones too because mine still does it. Um, you can't go days without food. If you go a day, a few days, a week, you're going to be weak if you didn't have food. It works the same in the spiritual realm, right? Skipping daily prayer and Bible study makes you spiritually weak. It makes you a spiritual wimp. We must spend regular time in his word to know the truth. To know the truth from the lies that are coming at us from all over the world. Um, and they're coming fast and furious these these days. Um, we need that regular consumption of God's word. Matthew four four says... Uh, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This will require sacrificing something, possibly many things, right? Um, and in most cases, it depends on where you are in your walk, it will require rearranging something in your schedule permanently. But again, the TV, the social media, um, these, this Bible study and prayer needs to be a priority. It needs to cost you something. Moving on to number two, giving is inconvenient. Giving comes in various forms, right? We have our time, we have our talent, and we have our treasure. Serving in ministry, giving your time and talent, is never going to be convenient. And if you only do it because your schedule is open, you're not serving. You're not sacrificing. Are you willing to serve when your calendar is clear or clear your calendar for those times when you can have the opportunity to serve. God has designed and equipped this church and the church at large with all the necessary talents to function. And when all of all of us are available and doing the service that God has intended for us to do, the church as a whole is healthy and the church is strong. Romans 12, 4 through 8. the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Ephesians 4, 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So if if I hurt my hip... And Ray, you can correct me on the anatomical parts, but bear with me. If I, if I, if my hip gets hurt and then I start walking weird, um, and then the next thing you know, my whole body's going to be out of whack. My back is going to start hurting, and the muscles are going to seize up. Close enough. But because one part's not working or is not working at its full potential, other parts have to compensate, and so then the whole body gets out of whack. And that's how the church can be. If you have people in the church that know where they're supposed to serve and they aren't willing to put in the sacrifice, then other people have to compensate and then fill in those gaps, and then the church ends up being out of whack just like your body would be. So, again, expect the service and the ministry to cost something. Don't give the Lord that which costs you nothing. now comes to the the literal meaning of David's words, uh, giving as far as treasure. That we should not give the Lord would cost us nothing. So for many, I think, for many Christians, I think the finances might be the last place of Christian maturity is in the finances as far as, as how they handle them. It's really not how much you give your heart attitude about what you give. Jesus does call out the difference though when he points out the widow who's put in the two mites into the thing and the rich guys had just put in out of their excess. Uh, Luke 21, 1 through 4, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting in their gifts into the offering box and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. So the rich people were just, they had some and they put it in there. It didn't affect whether they were, what they were going to do with the rest of the day, the rest of their life. It just, it was just extra. Didn't mean anything. And so, um... I'm not going to belabor the the finances because we we um, we don't talk about it that much here. The Lord has really blessed us, so we we um, don't need to hit this. But I, I do. I, I I didn't feel complete if I don't at least cover this. Um, that this should be a place where we're sacrificing as well. And I know there are plenty here that do sacrifice because that's how we can keep everything going. So in Malachi 3, God accuses those who aren't tithing of stealing from God. So this is the only place in Scripture in in Malachi uh, where God asks us to test him, right? So in Malachi 3.10, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing till there is no more need. The Lord has done that for this church. And it's, it's because of you people and your faithful giving and your sacrifice. It's a weird place to cry. Sorry. <clears throat> anyway, the Lord has opened the storehouses here at church. Um, Right all our needs, this has been a difficult year for a lot of people, but the finances of the church haven't suffered the, the faithfulness of this church has blown us away, and to the point where you know we're opening the the youth room, and uh God's just blown us away, and so that's my heart sorry <clears throat> um anyway, so i don't like I guess I don't need to belabor this that much, but I do want to cover it uh Luke. Uh, 638, give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. So I want to make sure I'm clear on this. This isn't name of the claimant. This isn't prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about that kind of doctrine. It's putting your trust, your, of putting your finances into God's hands, putting it into his hands, letting him guide their use. Giving doesn't guarantee you'll get more in back, but as you let the Lord control your finances, you will have what you need to survive, and in my experience, often so much more. <clears throat> so again, um, this church is amazing when it comes to that, and um, much appreciated. lastly number three salvation can be inconvenient there's a story in Acts 24 where Paul is in Rome and he's standing before a judge named Felix and and Paul lays out the good news uh, to him of Jesus' birth and, and life and death and resurrection and and of Jesus conquering sin and death and and you know he's he's on trial for causing disturbances but he's as he's doing that he's he's preaching the gospel and then in acts 24, 24 through 25 um, it says this after some days Felix with his wife drusilla who was Jewish and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Jesus in Christ Jesus And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. So it was, he wanted a more, more convenient time to be saved. There's never a more convenient time to be saved than right now. The Bible never mentions that Felix ever comes to faith, so we assume he doesn't, but, you know, who knows. But uh, salvation can be inconvenient. Being in the Christian walk can be inconvenient and costly. Obviously, I've just been going over all the ways that I'm telling you to sacrifice. I'm not telling you. The, The Word is telling you. But it, it will um, salvation itself is inconvenient. it'll likely cost relationships. it'll likely require letting go of things that were okay that were acceptable before you became a Christian. and we just we just you know covered all the ways that we that the Lord or the Bible says we should sacrifice and so if you're coming here and, and you don't haven't already put your faith. In Jesus Christ, and and you've heard all this, and then you're like, Stephen, it sounds like way too much. I don't think it's, it's not for me. It's not, it's too inconvenient. Let me offer that every sacrifice that we make, I make, you make, for the Lord, every cost that we pay, it pales in comparison to what we receive. And anyone can receive that just by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, repenting from your sins, turning the other way and do everything we just talked about. Learn about him. Tell others about him. And get with those who love him. So while it may be hard, There's a, a joy that we gain. There's a purpose in my life, and there can be a purpose in anyone's life who has put their faith in Jesus. And more importantly, there's the confidence that when I breathe my last day on earth here, whether that's today, 20 years from now, the next breath I breathe will be in heaven. And I'm confident of that, and I rest in that. And that assurance is priceless. And that can be for anyone. Puts their faith in, in Jesus. So, if anyone here does not, cannot say they're already in that spot, I'm up here afterwards and um, love to talk with you, pray with you. So, in summary, inconvenient truths. Obedience is inconvenient, giving is inconvenient, salvation can be inconvenient, but priceless all the same. The stakes are high. There's a lot of ridiculousness going on right now, and we need Christians who are serious about their walk, their faith, their knowledge of the scripture, and their seriousness to gather together, build one another up. Pastor Raul said in in the video, he has no greater joy than when his children are walking with the Lord, and that includes all of us here. When we come here and attend, that gives him joy. Obviously, it gives the Lord in heaven more joy. But um, your presence here encourages everybody else around you. So We're glad to have all of you, and God bless. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask that you would lift up each, each individual right now who is uh, under the weather, Lord, who's sick, Lord, we ask for a healing touch. We ask that you would speed healing, Lord, that you would uh, protect those of us who are here from getting sick. Lord, we ask for you to do a mighty work in this city, state, and country, Lord, that you would light a fire in those who call, their, call them your own, and Lord, that you would uh, help us to walk, take our faith seriously, Lord. We lift this uh, time up to you, Lord. We thank you for it, and we pray these things in Jesus' name.